And yeah, what if I tried something like this? You know, maybe a little this. It's a little laid back. Maybe you want something a little heavier. Uh, well, probably not heavy, but you're now listening to. Guys, hello. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? It's, uh, and it's going great for me. Thanks for asking. This week, I spoke to Lema Hamad. Um, she's great. And now I know her better, which is really fun. I know her through comedy, comedy and improv circles. Um, but what's maybe most relevant to you about her is that she is an entrepreneur. 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 <laughs> entrepreneur. Uh, entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. I don't know how to pronounce words. She's a businesswoman, and um, she is uh, starting up this thing called Taste Bay. It's a little bit, it's not hard to explain. It's hard for me to explain, and I don't want to do it any injustice. So I'll tell you this. Go to Facebook, do the Facebook situation, put a slash, do a taste.bay. Check out check out what that is. It's this new social network about food and it's going to be great. It's, it hasn't launched yet. So you can get on the ground floor on the Facebook page and then you can be there when it happens. Um, so that's Lemma Hamad. Okay. So that's that. This is what I want to tell you. I feel like I have a lot to say about this week's, which is weird. Um, but I just do. I do. Uh, we spoke about what it is to be a third culture kid. So if you already know what that is, good on you. If you don't, you'll probably learn something. Speaking of learning stuff, I was listening back to the podcast and I noticed she um, she's from Sudan. And at a certain point, she talked about or at a certain point, I said the Sudan. And then I listened back. I'm like, why did I say that? What's wrong with me? Um, so I looked it up, guys. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I can't do the whole intro over, but I'm embarrassed that I let you in on the on the inside of my head just so easily right now, so seamlessly. I was like, what's wrong with me? Um, there was no need to take it to that level. But I just looked it up because I was like, why did I say the Sudan? Where have I heard that? Why did I not just say Sudan, the country, Sudan, right? Um, so I looked it up. Here's the situation. I learned something. I just want you to know that I know, basically. So I'm going to tell you it. And if you don't know, now you can know it too. The Sudan apparently is a geographic region south of the Sahara, okay? And it includes the countries of Mali and Burkina Faso and Niger and Nigeria and Chad, that <laughs> all-star, handsome, <laughs> blonde country of Chad, and Sudan. So the Sudan region, Sudan country. Got it. You'll notice partway through the conversation, I just started saying Sudan because I'm like, why did I add the little the? Why did I do that? She's not doing it. I'm not going to do it anymore. So I learned a little something. Um, the other thing that you may notice, I shouldn't even point it out because you, you may not notice, but I noticed and then I was like cripplingly self-conscious about it um, pretty much through the whole conversation because I was just kicking back, trying to learn more about what it is to be a third culture kid. I don't have much to contribute other than a few wisecracks here and there, which I'm famous for. Um, but mostly my contributions were this, like a gentle, yeah, yeah, like a gentle, yeah, or a interesting, interesting. And here's the truth. I was genuinely interested. I don't know. I'm going to have to look up now synonyms for interesting. I'm going to try to pepper them into my conversation. I mean, fascinating is a bit rich. I, I don't want to just 
be throwing around, oh, that's fascinating, when that sounds more kind of condescending than interesting, doesn't it? And interesting is not meant to be condescending. I'm genuinely interested in what you're saying is interesting. So I say interesting. I'm going to have to switch that up. If you guys have any suggestions for just another way to say that in a conversation, let me know because I got to I gotta mix it up. I haven't looked it up at all yet. The only other place I'm going to right now is fascinating and that's too, that's cranking it up too high. Um, huh. My, mildly amusing. We could try that or like, hmm, mm-hmm. just noises. Hmm. So that happened. If you want to play a drinking game with yourself, alcoholic or non, you could uh, assign one person to drink when I say yeah, and another person to drink when I say interesting, and you'll be drinking the entire podcast. Um, That is not unlike the game that my high school friends and I used to play, used to play. I think we played it like once in a hotel room, and it was too many times to uh, the old uh, police classic Roxanne. One person is assigned Roxanne, one person is assigned put on the red light. And it's, it's horribly irresponsible. I might have already told you about that game. I guess it, it looms large in my memory. The other thing that I mentioned during this podcast was Newfoundland slang. I just kind of brought it up, but I didn't have any examples. So I, I, I cracked open my book. You'll hear if you hear the whole podcast. I got a book about Newfoundland slang. Don't worry about it. All right. I'm educating myself about tiny pockets of Canadian culture. Um, Here's some here's some Newfoundland slang for you. I cannot do the accent, although my natural my natural accent is not far from it, but it's not uh, can't do it. If you want to say something is very good in Newfoundland, you would say some good. That's some good. That's some good. You mean very good. And if it's even better than very good, you would say savage good. That's what the kids are saying these days. They're using savage as an adjective, willy-nilly, just throwing it in, modifying other adjectives like good, savage good. That's savage good. Um, that also applies to anything Fred Savage related is savage good, if you are a fan of Fred Savage. Okay. Uh, there's more. There's more slang, but I feel that this intro has gone on long enough, and I don't think you need it. If you want more Newfoundland slang, I'm sure you can Google it. There's a lot of things we can all Google, you guys. This is what I've discovered about the Sudan and Sudan. Google can clear a lot of things up for you. One more thing, one more order of business, one more tiny point that I need to tell you. There is a moment in the podcast where you may hear an abrupt kind of jump from not really one conversation to the next, but what happened was Lemma's Skype went off um, and then we put the whole thing on pause for a minute and then we picked up again. And instead of um, having you hear the Skype noises, I just edited those out, but it wasn't the most... It wasn't the most, why am I losing all my vocabulary, seamless, of edits. Um, Because, you know, we were just talking, bam, interrupted by the Skype noise, and then talking again. So you may hear that, um, and it's not, you know, no disrespect intended to your listening ears. And don't think that, you know, we hadn't delved into any triple X rated material or super top secret stuff that I don't want you guys to hear. It's it's very clear. It should be clear to you by now that I don't give a fuck what you guys hear. I let you in on pretty much everything because I have no filters or boundaries. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy this one. Enjoy it. Have fun. The question is, what's a third culture kid? 
What's a third culture kid? I could Google this, and I have, but I'm asking you, third culture kid. So uh, a third culture kid is a kid who's been traveling for for a lot of time when they were since they were a kid. So when they before they are an adult, they at least have lived in two places or have changed schools several times in different cities, um, and that's part of their whole lifestyle. And they grow up feeling like they don't really have a specific place they can call home. Because they've always been moving around so much, they kind of absorb every single culture they've, they've lived in. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. What's your parents' culture? Where so, okay. From? So my, my mom is half Sudanese, half Egyptian. Okay. So I have the Egyptian side of things. And then my, and my dad is Sudanese. So I have the Sudanese, Sudanese family. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, I was born in the Middle East in the United Arab Emirates. So okay. commonly known as Dubai. Um, and then we moved when I was like nine to New Zealand. So that's, uh, and that, and we moved there purely because of, of, of passport reasons like immigration. Cause having a Sudanese or African passport in general seems to not get you anywhere. You need to apply to like for visas everywhere. And once you apply, you probably won't get accepted. Wait, did you need to leave the United Arab Emirates? Yeah. Like they don't, they don't make you a citizen. Like you'll never be a citizen, even if you've lived there like 30 years. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my dad, um, was an architect that he's, he's still an architect there and he's been, been there for like a couple of like 30 years. And at that point we were just like, yeah, we kind of need to um, naturalize ourselves or, or you know, get a passport of some sort that's worthwhile having, right? right? And so they were like, okay, we're going to migrate to either Canada or New Zealand. At the time, I think it was like the 90s, they were opening up the doors for like foreigners. Okay. So we, we went to, I think they, I think my dad thought Canada was way too cold. So he, he, he is like, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he decided we're going to go to New Zealand. And, uh, and yeah, and then I lived there until I graduated university. And then I moved back to the UAE to work for um, five years and the common thing about third culture kids is they also experience like reverse culture shock right because I was born in the Middle East and right. I lived there till I was nine but when I went back it was like a totally alien world to me because you had spent so much time in New Zealand exactly yeah and yeah from about age nine yeah right okay so like as you're getting a sense of yourself and your own identity like as a teenager yeah that's all within this other culture yeah, and it was really it was really tough because like the funny thing is I was I'm the youngest right so everyone in the family is a lot older than me there's like a big gap between my brother and my sister and I, and um, they all knew what was happening but I was told that we were going on vacation. No. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I, <laughs> like I had my best friend. I had like everyone kind of like thinking I was going to go on vacation, right? And then we get there. This is tr- totally traumatic. I was not <laughs> yeah. prepared for this. Yeah, well, it's not that traumatic. Think in retrospect now, it's kind of funny. But in, in, in that point in time, I was just like, why are we not leaving? And they're like, yeah, we're going to put you in school here. Yay. And we're, I'm like, what? No. But yeah, I, I didn't go back until probably six years later. And I went, I went back and saw my best friend of like, since I, I knew him since I was four years old. Yeah. He's like, where were you? <laughs> like, this is like before the internet really took, you know, yeah. like MS, like ICQ and all those things. But yeah, like I, it, it was strange. And then, you know, there's this new country and like, I'm black, you know, people on the podcast can't tell. But oh, yeah, you're like, right. <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So like I moved to New Zealand and New Zealand, like, you know, it's really far, right? So the percentage of black people that actually end up there is very low. Yeah, yeah. So I was like the only black girl in my school. And I just felt really awkward, I think. And that's, you know, that's kind of the transition period that took 
a really long time for me to kind of adjust to. It's like a new, like a totally new school, yeah, new culture, um, the same sort of cultural norms that you're that you're used to are just not non-existent. And as like a twelve-year-old or a thirteen-year-old, you're kind of just like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I've never been to New Zealand. I've been to Australia a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reluctant to say this, but it's true and they know it's true. Australians are a bit racist. Yeah. I was I was kind of <laughs> shocked by that. And I was also shocked walking around how I mean, I guess there's a big, there's a big Asian population like in Sydney yeah. and Melbourne and stuff like that. Yeah. But for the most part, I was like walking around like, where are the black people? What's going on? Yeah. That's is it? So I'm kind of imagining that's what it's like in New Zealand. It is. But I guess like they're, New Zealand's a little different from Australia in that it's not as racist because they have kind of a different cultural uh, landscape, so to speak. So like Australian history with the aboriginals is a co- completely different storyline from what the New Zealand aboriginals faced because they, they also have ab- right. aboriginals called Maoris. Yeah. And um, like they had, you know, Australia sort of pushed all their aboriginals out into these like reservations. And so that's kind of why you don't really see any, any black people in, in Australia. It's yeah. kind of strange, but in New Zealand, they're kind of more mixed in and they have scholarships and they like help them out and you know, they, they push them and stuff and they have something called the treaty of white tangy, which was like an, a, this. is like an agreement between, um, you know, the people who, the, the, the settler settlers that came to New Zealand and wanted to take over, but the Maoris were so they, they had a hierarchical society, so they had a leader and they had weapons, right? But the Aboriginal Australians didn't have weapons; they were completely communal. They didn't even know yeah, the concept yeah. of weapons. So the Maoris from New Zealand fought off the settlers, like they like fought them off for like years, and then eventually the leader of the Maori tribe learned English, right? And then communicated, and they made this contract. Oh my gosh, this is amazing! Yeah, I've they never made like, about this. It's, it's amazing, and they like made this contract, and they like said, "Okay, you guys can come live with us, but we still have our rights, and you guys can do your thing, and we'll do our thing, and like we'll co- we'll cohabitate." And that's like, until today, the Treaty of Waitangi still holds like um, I think just as much executive power as like the Queen. Do you know what really? I mean? Really? Yeah. Like, the, well, I think the Queen's a little bit higher, but essentially, because it's New Zealand's part of the whole. Um, what's it called? The British Commonwealth. Commonwealth, yeah. exactly. So, but they have a like a much bigger uh, advantage over the Australian Aboriginals, you know, because Australian Aboriginals were murdered basically for like years, and then. Um, <laughs> and then kind of pushed out to the side. <laughs> it's true. You see my face changing. I was like, I thought we were just going to talk about how great it is that you know so many languages. I'm like, murdered aboriginals. Never. I thought I was, I was like going on vacation. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I do. I, I, lear- I, um, I speak Arabic and English. Yeah. And I think the common question usually is, why do you have an American accent if you never lived in the States? Oh, gosh. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's a really good question. It is. I What's guess, going on there? Um, I don't know. I it's just basically learning from television. I I think, and most people, most third culture kids do have tend to have an American accent because that's kind of like the default for the world, you know. In terms of entertainment, it's what you're exposed to mostly, probably right? Like yeah, movies and TV and exactly. Yeah. And I think it's the normal, like I, I don't know, but most people would consider that normal sounding. Like, if I talk like this, it's sort of like, I'm from New Zealand, but... <laughs> you do that really well. Like, the the New Zealand accent? Yeah. yeah it's, well, I've lived there for a while, and it took me a while to really get used to, like, being with an American accent since I was nine, and never picking up their accent, right? So, I lived there for a good 12 years, or 13 years. You never picked it up? Never. No. 
I think it's probably because I didn't want to sound yeah. like that. <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah, do you do you want to do you want to go to the car? Yeah. I'm like, what the car? <laughs> the car. Wait, so how old were you when you learned English? Um, I learned English first before Arabic, and this is the funny thing. I but do both of your parents speak English? They speak English, yeah, but their first language is Arabic. Okay. So I, um, when I was put in school, I, apparently there's like a percentage of children that just have difficulty learning two languages at once. Mm-hmm. So I would have like arguments with my cousin, like. They're like, that's a banana. And I'm, uh, they're like, that's a moza, which is an Arabic banana. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's not a moza, it's a banana. And I just like <laughs> fight with them over like what what words to use for certain things. So the I think the teacher like kind of took my mom in and she was like, okay, your child is like having difficulty learning Arabic and she's just like refusing. Your child's acting up. <laughs> yeah. I just think I, wh- what it was, I think I just wanted the world to just speak one language. Like I just didn't understand the concept of why you had to say things in different words <laughs> for the same thing, right? right? So so anyway, they um they put me in a in a class for non-Arabic speakers because I wasn't learning Arabic. I just refused to English now is my first language and then I learned Arabic um at a at a sort of delayed level. So I'd be sitting there with like Indians and like um you know, Chinese people and stuff who never spoke a word of Arabic in their life and I'm having a full conversation with the teacher. Yeah. But because I couldn't read or write at the same level, like they put me back. And so now my Arabic's not that great, but That's all right, my Arabic's not great either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's easy to say, but when you go back to like your country, like I went back to Sudan yeah, for the okay. first time ever. I've never been to Sudan and I went there for four days or like a week. And it was so insane. Like I the language is is, is obviously they can tell that I'm not like, you know, Sudanese, Sudanese. So the whole idea of a third culture kid is that you don't really fit in to your old culture as, and you don't fit in in your new culture. And so you don't really feel like anything at all. Yeah. Um, so who are your people? Are your people like your siblings or friends that have grown up in similar ways? Like, Yeah. Yeah. Mainly, mainly friends that, go, that sort of have the same experience of being a third culture kid. Um, and my siblings, yeah, they, they all are international. Like they all travel a lot. Um, and they just, they also tend to have third culture kid friends. Um, it's just, a, it's a sense of like, a sense of belonging because you understand that the world isn't just limited to that one particular place that you lived in. So you kind of know that there's a lot of different ways of living and you're a little bit more tolerant, I think, of, yeah. or non-judgmental of, you know, different modes of living, I think. Cause you understand things as a choice and like a cultural norm rather than yeah. the way the right way exactly and yeah. also i think it, it makes you more understanding um in terms of you know people people tend to like shut out parts of of, of pain right in life and everybody has their own way of dealing with pain so if, in north america let's say we think um oppression and like racism and all these things are like horrible things right and then you go to these other countries and it's just like rife with like oppression and racism and these you know these terrible terrible things and they're like normal with it and they're fine with it right and they've lived in it for a while so they kind of normalize it but um they have their own coping mechanisms right for dealing with those things and you you when you start to live in a different country, you start to pick up those things and start to normalize these behaviors, but it's not on purpose. It's like, um, it's just, it just happens to be the way that when you, when you transfer to a new country, right? Can you give me a specific example of that? Um, let's see. For example, if you're, um, 
that's a good example. Like people who are not used to seeing so many different cultures, um, they tend to they tend to think that that's the way the world is and everything is fine and, yeah. and sort of for example oh that's a this is a good one um sexism right like in our culture we think that women can do whatever they want and men can do whatever they want yeah and in their culture it's kind of like men have certain roles and women have certain roles right and you talk to a woman about her role and you you feel like she's being oppressed right are we, we talking about the sudan right now yeah or okay. any middle eastern i guess okay place yeah um they they, you would think that this person's being oppressed, but they don't think they're being oppressed. They think this is normal. Like, I'm just being a good woman, and this is what women do. Right. And, like, who am I to come and tell you this is not the way you're supposed to live your life, right? It's it's yeah, hard yeah. to know where the boundary is, because you're like, well, you're wearing, you're covered from head to toe in a black veil in 50-degree weather in the desert. Like, it's terrible. But to them, it's comfortable. Right. And... That's something that you just have to learn to accept. You just learn, have to be like, okay, that's what you do. <laughs> like, and not be the, that asshole that just kind of like always, like constantly preaches. And that, I think that's something that th- third culture kids tend to share is that they're a little bit less preachy about what the right thing is all the time. Yeah, yeah. And there are things that we take for granted that we don't really understand what, like, the implications of things like, um, like just having really like air conditioning or or water or just things that are just normal to us like yeah. electricity i mean out in sudan this is just like a normal thing like it's really hot in summer and everyone has like um air conditioning in their in their house but electricity isn't always stable so at any given moment the electricity will cut out and this happens like on a weekly basis yeah. so electricity will cut out and you have to go down and like turn on the generator and then, you know, sit there and you just, it's, you kind of, you have, a, and they have like housemaids. See, like, that's one of the things that people find awkward here is they're like, you had a housemaid, like a slave or something, and they lived in the house. And it's not slave, the people in their mind think like housemaids technically are slaves, you know, in, the, in their, their normal way of um, processing that information here in North America. Well, then maybe I don't know what housemaid means. It means someone who lives in your house yeah. and, and takes care of things for your house yeah. and your family. Yeah, it's a different like a different concept from here where you hire the person like per hour or something. Okay, so you just, do you pay them a wage? Or do yeah, they, or they, they just get wage. to live with you and eat? No, they live with you, eat, and then you pay them a wage. Okay. And do they have days off where they do what they want and go see their own family? That's or? the thing. Like, I mean, most good people do, but yeah. there are some people that don't. Okay. And that's that's why it it always gets a bad rap. Like well, it's pretty intense. It is intense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't really necessarily agree with any well, I don't agree with a lot of things that happen. Well, who are those people? Are they like um young women who are then earning money and sending it back to their family? Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a strange world we live in where like economies is like just kind of feed off one another because they obviously they if they're living in the Middle East they're making a lot more than if they were working in in let's say the Philippines or India. Or wherever. So the salary they're making um, while they're living there, they're sending it back to their their families, and they're buying houses, and they're paying for college, and yeah. it's a lot more than what they would get in their home country. So that's what makes it you know, a little bit com- complicated because people are like, "Well, that's really that's really um, oppressive and mean because they don't get to see their family often, and they're kind of living this displaced life." and blah 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 but then on the other hand they're also able to live a life um you know provide for their family where they normally wouldn't be able to do that yeah so it's hard to argue with it is tricky you can see my face like i don't know what to (laughs) say 
Yeah, the, it, um, I think the the whole idea of, of being a, a global citizen or just like f- what, not really having a, a patriotic sort of disposition to a, a country or one particular place mm-hmm. is that I, you tend to just sit on the fence sometimes um, on, on certain issues because you just see both sides of the coin kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Whatever you guys want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, to a certain ex- to a certain degree, like you, you can have beliefs, but I'm not I'm not representing all TCKs. Yeah. Um, but it is harder to be um, very like headstrong about one you know one way of living. When did you come to Canada? When and how? I came to Canada. Um, I came to Canada last year. I stayed for six months and I just really enjoyed it. And uh, and then I that I was left. your first time in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Did you come here because your brother was here? How yeah, did that work out? yeah. yeah I, I came here. My brother was here. I actually just gone through a breakup in New York, and then I'd I just escaped in New York and came here to stay with my bro. And uh, and you know, obviously, when you go through a breakup, you're kind of like, I want to like reinvent my life and mm-hmm. do everything I've never wa- I've always wanted to do. So that's when I um I got into the sort of comedy scene here and did some improv and stand up for the first time. Um. And then, yeah, just the culture of Montreal really um, appealed to me. Not- Maybe because it is that mis- mishmash. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's really chill, and it's not so, like, go, 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 you know? One thing I think is really interesting about Montreal, I don't know if this matters to you at all, but that people don't really care what you do. Yeah. Like, in other cities, it's very much like, what do you what do? do you That's do? your identity. Yes. And I had to, two mutual friends that, like, that knew each other through me. And they'd known each other for, I mean, years. Like, they'd, like, had dinner parties at my house and hung out and been, like, acquaintances, like, yeah. you know, through me. And then it was just, like, a few years ago, one of them said to the other one, like, oh, what do you do? And it was like, <laughs> oh, they'd known each other for years and they'd never asked. Right. They yeah. didn't know what they did for a living, like, nine to five. Yeah, I, that's totally true. Like, I noticed that when I went to Toronto for, like, three weeks, everyone was like, so what do you do? Like, what are you up to with your life? What are you, what are you working on? You're like, yeah. uh, I don't, I, like, it's really, and I think that's, uh, it's kind of indicative of the sort of a capitalistic world that we live in. Mm-hmm. You always have to be achieving and, like, we live in sort of a meritocracy, and I think it's more more about more North American than other places too. Yeah, yeah. Like if you like, unless you go to like really metropolitan sort of intense cities like Hong Kong or Dubai, where everyone's trying to make money. Yeah. But other than that, um, most like most really chill places, like you know, you go to South America or whatever. Like people are just living their lives. Yeah. They're not worried, not too worried about like achieving the highest, you know amount of monetary gain or something yeah i'm not just an interesting place now we have a little joke about it like i've tried this on stage and audiences don't want to hear it because i'm basically because it's not good i shouldn't say it yeah but i've been like oh people say you know montreal's great because bars are open really late and rent's cheap and i'm like of course bars are open late and rent's cheap because no one here has ambition and they're just <laughs> hanging out and they need to drink and they can't spend too much on rent like exactly yeah, yeah. but that's the cool thing because it, it it brings a lot of art artistic people right like mm-hmm. they can they can do their art and not have to pay so much money. That's true. That's all true. I, I have like so many questions for you right now. One of which is uh, when you went to Sudan. Mm-hmm. When so when was that? What was that like? Yeah, that that was an interesting one. Like I I just got back to the UAE and I was uh, waiting for my next job. It was like a three week period where I was staying at my friend's house and she was she's a Sudanese and she um, she lived in New Zealand with me too, right? And so she wanted to go back to Sudan to like visit her family. 
but she had lived in Sudan and I had never lived there. So mm-hmm. she's like, you have to see your family. Like you have to see Sudan like at least once in your life. Right. And do you have like family members still there? Yeah. 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 Like my whole, well, my mom's side and my dad's side are, are, you know, generations. And like, we have one of those families where it's like, we have 16 cousins, right. and uncles and stuff like that. And were they people that you had met before? No, um, no, not all of them. Actually, oh, just wow. one person I'd met. And th- so, so my friend and I, her name's Sarah. She's like, you need to come to Sudan. So we booked a ticket. I went for a week and I landed at the airport and I was supposed to go with her sort of on vacation thing. I was like, I'm going to stick, I'm going to cling on to you because I don't know what to do, right? Like, yeah. It's weird. And, uh, and my aunt shows up at the airport and she's like, hey, and I didn't even know she was showing up there. Like words sort of spread like wildfire yeah. that, like that I was coming. And then she like grabbed me. She was like, yeah, you're coming with me. You're staying with me. And like, we're going to show you to like the family and everything. And I was like, what? No. And my friend, <laughs> like, we're, like me and my friend are like separated at the airport. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh I get in the car and she's just like, yeah, what do you think? And it's really, it's a really interesting experience because you're like, oh my God, everybody looks like me. Like your family members? Not just my, everyone in the country looks like me. Really? That's a a thing that a lot lot of people um, who who are i guess tck's they just, they're just used to being the different person right so like i've always been the black person i've i've never been around more than like a couple of hundred a couple less than a hundred black people in one area yeah you know what i mean my whole life so you can imagine that's, just, me, uh, that's weird it is. yeah <laughs> and imagine like you go back to africa and you're black and everyone's black yeah and it's normal it's like i didn't i don't i don't know how to feel right now yeah, that's really interesting <laughs> yeah and and you see like um you know you see people that look like you doing normal things and like taking care of stuff and on the one one side of the street it's like really poor and on the other side it's like really really rich like people with castles and stuff and factories and really yeah and it'll be like a goat on the street like randomly eating yeah. stuff and you're <laughs> it's just and then like you just get you have to just be like okay this is you know this is where i am there's no traffic lights people are just driving around like on dirt roads and are pretty happy with their life did you feel well i mean yeah i want to ask what else it felt like you when you were there and i realized my question was kind of leading or there's like um a bias built into it do you feel at all like oh like did you on any level like relax like did you or your body understand like these are my people this is where i come from (laughs) yeah it took me a couple of days at first you know just running around like seeing different family members and stuff but i I don't think i actually ever really felt maybe like like a split second but that yeah that feeling of like i don't know what to do is always kind of looming and because you never know like even with legal stuff like um I, I walked out of the house one day and i was wearing i was wearing a skirt above the knee Uh-oh. and everyone's like what are you doing and i was like um i don't know what what's wrong and they're like you can't wear that out and i'm like why and they're like it's because it's too short you need to like, really cover it up yeah yeah i wouldn't even think of that i didn't think of it and then they're like um <laughs> then this was like a series of little like faux pas that i was doing like could you, know, you wear a short skirt and knee pads with <laughs> <laughs> I just fix this. Those knees. <laughs> you get my knee pads. 
Yeah, those dirty, dirty knees. Covered them <laughs> up. No, like, and, and at one point, I was wearing flip-flops out, and they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, why? Is it illegal to wear flip-flops for fuck's sake? And they're like, no, because it's really sandy. You're going to get sandy feet. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that one's practical. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, they, they, uh, they were really welcoming. Like, that's the thing about you know they're they're really homey and hospitable and like every place you go to they just want to offer you stuff so like I I went from morning till evening just like visiting different family members and every time I go to a new house they're like here have some candy and chocolate and juice and I'm like I'm gonna get diabetes at this rate (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the, the 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 awkwardness was was kind of all the way through I think just because I, I didn't know what to say or do or what you're, you know, when you, when you meet someone, you're like, hi, how are you? What are you up to? You know, yeah. how's it going? And then you, you, if you're thinking about that whole interaction, how many times you've done that and how habitual it is, mm-hmm. then doing that in a different language and then a totally different context and the different things that you're supposed to say. Like, they don't say the normal things that we say. They what do they say? What's, what's like they, normal there? It's a strange to even translate, but it's like here you would be like, hey, how are you? What's going on? How's it, how's it going? There they would be like... Um, just basically means like how are you um how's it going and then may god like um bless you may god take care of you and right. you kind of have to say the same thing back like they say and you're like like just means may god preserve you and you're like may god like help you and they're like no no may god help you yeah and it's a really weird interaction and it just goes on for a while because they're trying to be like really happy and welcoming like oh yeah 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 i know happy like yeah, yeah. They keep just talking while they're just hugging you and stuff it's it's really funny but uh essentially the, le- learning those little um what to do and how to say and all that stuff it, it, it took a while like until i basically left i still didn't really feel yeah. comfortable yeah would you want to go back I definitely do want to go back. I probably um, would, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want to go back just sort of like to do something specific. Like right when I went, it was sort of just kind of like, hey, I'll check this out. But next I want to probably go for like a wedding or, you know, something oh, yeah. like festive. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, just to like figure it out and see what, what. I want to ask you if you noticed anything about Canada that jumped out to you or that you thought was interesting or different, surprising. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy how Canadians are really, um, you know, thoughtful, like thoughtful and and they're just relaxed and chill about life. And yeah, and, yeah, that can be true about thoughtful. Yeah. What do you do? You have an example of something or <laughs> um, an example of like really thoughtful Canadians? Yeah, I think just the fact that they're friendly and welcoming and they they don't want to appear to be obnoxious or mean people, right? Like they always care what people think in a way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> like, you know, if you go to some places people will be a dasshole to you and they're just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm never seeing this guy again. But like here people are just like, Oh no, are you okay? Like, did I offend you? I'm sorry. I didn't mean, you know, like, it's true. Canadians do have the reputation for being polite and yeah. they are, and they are. And that's, yeah. that's good. I like, I like Canadians. I think yeah. they're pretty uh, chill. I, uh, I visited my girlfriend's family in Newfoundland, which was a whole new level of friendliness. Oh, really? And, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And I can't do the accent at all. But they're really lovely. And um, there's all these like there's all this Newfoundland slang yeah. that they were trying to teach me. There's tons of it. I can't remember any of it right now because like 
<laughs> you'll understand why when I tell you what I'm going to tell you um, why it got bumped out of my head but her dad gave me this book of like Newfoundland slang and they were very much about like you know their Newfoundland culture and like check it out and welcoming me and and then um I was like reading through this book and I'm like, oh, this is interesting and checking with her mom. Oh, do you guys actually say this or is this more like lore? You know how, you yeah. know, is this like commonly in use? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then she goes, oh, she says like my girlfriend's brother, Michael, what's that one? And she goes, said to me, camel toe. Do you know oh. camel toe? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, seriously? Is this happening right now? Does it mean the same thing? Yes. Okay. But I'm like, that's not just a Newfoundland thing, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, not a, something I want to talk about with you. <laughs> that's funny. Like, maybe they had their own, like, version of what camel toe is. It, it was, was pretty really funny. funny. Anyway, it's a tiny. Yeah. That's, that's to the side, but that's a more specific Canadian culture. <laughs> but like, it, it's interesting how like every con- culture has their own slang and ways of saying things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Arabic as a language is really metaphorical. Like English is very direct. You know, I'll tell you just generally like what it is that I'm feeling and, and kind of very direct way. Whereas Arab people kind of speak in, in metaphors in that, for example, if you asked someone for something um normally uh they would give it to you and you'd say thank you and they say you're welcome okay right? that's pretty pretty straightforward yeah. in arabic they don't when they give you something you say thank you but the other person wouldn't necessarily just be you're welcome they say like ala uh, which basically means like um i'll like i'll give you my eyes or ala rasi it's like i'll put it on my head and you're like, what? That that if you translate that literally, it makes yeah. no sense. But what they're trying to say is like, I will do anything for you. I will give you my eye. I'll put it on my head. I'll, uh, um, you know, you look uh, like like you look like the moon. It's all everything speaks in like in diff in in visual form. Yeah. So it's very poetic, and I, I think that's really um, something that that I think is lost when people are not necessarily bilingual. They they don't see that there's like um, different linguistic programming, I guess that would be the way to call it. But like yeah. Your, your, your neuro-linguistic programming is thinking in pictures or in, in metaphors as opposed to just like directly talking to somebody. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. So yeah. that like, uh, I'll give you my eyes. It's kind of just a general like, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, here, let me, let me pull out my eye for you. <laughs> I like that. In, is there is there a situation in which that would be too much or is that kind of the default? Like if you handed default. me a glass of water, I would be like, I'll give you my eyes. It is not even, it is not only that, it is expected and it's rude if you don't be that nice. Like, oh, wow. like, oh what's wrong with her? Like, you know, why is she so serious? They like, she said, I'll lend you my nose. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'll give you. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And the, like even different things in languages that you get used to as a third culture kid is like you know different sense of humors. And I oh think yeah, I'm sure you can appreciate as well or like understand that you know French as a comedian like you know French comedy and English comedy. Yeah, and, they're very different. Yeah, and I, I mean, in your experience, do you find when you're talking to like an audience of like a different culture, like say Australia, do does this sense of humor kind of translate as well? Yeah, well, in Australia, it translates really easily and directly. I did. I'd done a few shows in Iceland, mm-hmm. and that was pretty interesting, um, especially like in a small town. Yeah. Where I mean, pretty much everyone in Iceland speaks English. Be- well, not, maybe not in the small towns, but you kind of have to because there's only like three hundred thousand Icelanders. So that's yeah. who you can talk to if you speak <laughs> Icelandic, and that's it. They all have their inside joke. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> they all know Steve. <laughs> um, yeah. So, the, and there was it was really interesting. 
uh, I guess all I do, I try to choose jokes that are the most relatable and mm-hmm. not, they don't hinge on cultural, right. like shared cultural knowledge. And then I just like slow everything down. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a tough one. Like if you're, you know, really like an international comedian, like you'd have to constantly be aware of who you're talking to. Yeah. And an easy way around that is to talk about them. Right. To talk about like, oh, yeah. this is how I find Icelanders. And, you know, and they, they love get that, a kick right? out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, for example, with uh, uh, Russell Peters, right? Like, he, he tends to talk a lot about race, you know, different races and stuff yeah. like that. And uh, I think I can sort of see um, why he appeals so much to, like, different, uh, certain ethnicities. Like, he's really popular in, in the Middle East, and he's yeah. really popular in India and, and those places. And I think the sense of humor there is, is kind of a little... Um, they like imitation and mocking as much, uh, uh, like... A little bit more. Oh yeah, that's interesting. You know, like you do the you do accents or you kind of imitate or act or, or sort of make fun of something. Yeah, yeah. But I think in North America, maybe they're a little bit more sensitive. They like feel bad about making fun of someone. To some degree, I think in at least like in the circles that I'm in, it's kind of hacky. Right. It's kind of been done. Yeah. To just do you know your Indian parents <laughs> accent or yeah. whatever. Yeah. That's the thing, right? So like I noticed that it is a little bit. Here it's like, ooh, well, they're not doing the same comedy. Like it's not that's as cerebral. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not as intellectual. And then you go to another country, and they're just like, ah, that's so funny. And if you were to be cerebral in, let's say, the Middle East or whatever, they would enjoy it. But I don't. They'd be like, well, she's a bit dry. You know, like they yeah. would. They wouldn't feel that that you know same vibe. I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I I thought about doing a little bit of comedy in the Middle East, but I just didn't know. Like, you know, most of my jokes were really dirty and sort of... Would they be in English? Would you do it in English? Or I would have done it in, in English, yeah. 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 But, like, it's it's kind of funny growing up uh, in New Zealand when, you know, before Dubai actually became, like, a popular hotspot, you know? Yeah. And people really did think that, like, the Middle East was just, like, desert and, like, people didn't, you know, they didn't know English. They were like, they were like, did you, did you ride camels to places? And, like, yeah. did you, do you have, like, tents and stuff? And I was like, no. But it's like, you, you, as a third culture kid, you get a lot of weird questions that just aren't, that you think are just like, what? How could you, how could you think that? Like, right. someone, I said, like, I was born in Abu Dhabi, and someone's like, I thought that was a salad dressing. What? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, even if you thought that, why would you just say that? I don't know. That's crazy. I thought that I was a know. salad dressing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, like, you know, they're like, so they have, like, infra- <laughs> like, before the, before Dubai was famous, they're like, so they have, like, infrastructure and, like, clean water and all that. I'm like, they have better infrastructure than New Zealand I just didn't want to rub it in like I didn't yeah. want to be like your place sucks by the way like we have like roads and awesome stuff there you guys are still rural but I mean like I probably offended a lot of people <laughs> but, but uh, it, it's it's funny trying to explain to people that the places that they imagine in their in their brains from wherever they've seen these movies or whatever that they, they have this picture in their mind of like what the Middle East is or where you know what Africa is like and you kind of have to explain to them that it's like, no, there's people that have jobs and they speak English really well and they have like lives and they do the same exact things that you normally do just in a sort of different atmosphere. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's really easy when you, when you, when you're, you know, living in one specific place for a long time to sort of forget that the world exists outside of, um, outside of where you are and you kind of live in a, a bit of a bubble. Whereas, um, I think being exposed to so many different cultures all the time, you you just start, build you build sort of like a picture in your mind of what the world is. Yeah, and you 
you get familiar with that and you're a lot easier. You, you can adapt easier. There's, um, you feel a lot more comfortable changing constantly and like change is not scary to me. Change is really exciting. And I like meeting new people and going to a new place and talking to new people. Yeah. Um, but that's terrifying to some people, right. Who've never really, um, been exposed to so many different experiences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I'm thinking about my family right now because I, I felt like the weirdo in my family when I got a passport. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I yeah. come from people that are like, well, you know, why would I go anywhere else? I, I need to see all of this great country first. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, get out of Pennsylvania once. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like they, they say that, but then they just don't go anywhere. Right. That, 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 that's it. And I think there's also the risk. Like there's a, you know, there's a little fear, I think, that it's involved. Just like, well, I, you know, when, if you think about going to Africa, automatically, I don't know if this is true for some people, but a lot of, automatically people think of like dirty things and like, you know, diseases. I think of all the shots that you, that you, you Yeah. <laughs> have to go there i actually do think about that yeah yeah that's a i mean that's a natural instinct you know but i think when you're a third culture kid you're just like yeah whatever i'll just like go and and like you don't think of it as that big of a deal like it's not as scary because you're used to it i think that's probably i mean i've been traveling i've been traveling since i was you know a baby and i think the excitement of traveling was so you know, it's so grand and it's never changed since I was a kid. It's just been the same feeling of like getting on a plane. And like, I remember I was six years old and I drew like the plane and like the air hostess and everything. Yeah. And like, and the, the air hostess saw it and she gave it to the captain. And then the captain invited me to the cockpit when I was <gasps> oh, six years old. Amazing. I was like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and yeah, you just, I get you, you get you, it's, it becomes such an exciting adventure and there's a lot of cool memories that, you know, sometimes you don't remember, but your, your parents tell you these stories. Like uh, a really funny one was in the Czech Republic. I was six years old and I had my older brother and sister, like I said, they're much older than me. So they went off to do some touristy things together as teenagers. Right. And I was like six. So they were yeah. like, we're not taking you. You're staying with, you know, mom and dad. And I was so upset because I wanted to go do the fun things instead of see all the museums or whatever. And, um, and so my mom and her friend, um, we get me, they're like, yeah, we're going to have fun. Don't you worry. <laughs> so they, they take me on, we're going on this train and apparently they didn't know that you had to have your train ticket on you. Right. So they just bought the ticket and then they lost it somewhere Yeah. and they didn't speak the language. So the police came and they oh, were like, no. they were like, you need to give us a ticket. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying, but they didn't know. So they just basically, you're like, come with us. And they took them to the police station. Oh right? my gosh. So I'm like six years old and they're like, they put us in a jail cell. What? Right. Right. So my mom and her best friend and a six year old are in this jail cell in the Czech Republic. And they were there for like hours, right? And my mom and they're they were like talking to each other, like, what the hell are we gonna do? I have no idea. And my mom was so funny. She's like, you know what? I'm I know what we're gonna do to get us out of here. She's she's I'm like, I'm gonna cause a scene. So she gets the guy to come in. She's like, I'm like blah blah, you know, you, you gotta let us out. We've got a kid here. And then he like pointed at something and he was like, She basically freaked out and made him feel really bad and started yelling about everything and they're um, they're like, my mom was like, okay, she, t- she talks to me. She's like, you're not going to tell your dad about this. <laughs> you're going to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> like nobody is to know about this at all. I'm like, okay. So we get home 
and you know everyone's like coming back from the trip and sharing what they bought everything (laughs) (laughs) and then then my 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 brother and sister uh they're like yeah so what did you guys do and i was like nah 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 nah, we went to jail (laughs) i was trying to like rub it in (laughs) i I was like shut up (laughs) we went to jail (laughs) i was like shut up i told you not to tell anyone they're like what do you mean you went to jail and i felt so happy about it because they're like like nothing could trump going to jail right? yeah that's a great story yeah so that, that basically i think ever since i've, I've sort of had this ex, uh, sort of idea of like where where is this new country gonna take you like what are you gonna end up doing <laughs> it could be jail, could be jail. <laughs> that's awesome. unfortunately we have to wrap it up but yeah. fortunately i think that's a great place to wrap it up yeah <laughs> um we've barely scratched the surface of what it is to be a third culture kid yeah it is it's a tough one. it means going to jail and liking it <laughs> <laughs> and rubbing it in everything's an adventure it means you've been imprisoned in a foreign jail before mm. the age of seven exactly right <laughs> Questionable at Best is available every Thursday at nomoradio.com. Check out the website to join in on the weekly Questionable at Best comment thread. Head over there. Talk about this stuff with us. Weigh in. Ask more questions. Answer questions. Get involved. Paint a fence. Make it happen. Join the community. I don't know if there's a community, you guys, and paint a fence is not a thing that people say, so I don't know why I just said it. But um, just go over there. I would love to continue this conversation with you. Support for the No More Radio Podcast Network comes from the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Our cool graphic was designed by Charlie Sneaker. Her work is on Instagram, charlie underscore design. That's Charlie with a Y. Do not be fooled. Our super sweet intro and outro music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by comic and renaissance man Mike Carosa. His Twitter is Mike Carosa. That's two R's, two Z's, two A's, although not sequentially. You'll figure it out. Also, I just said renaissance man. If you are listening in the UK, I say to you, renaissance man. I'm Deanne Smith. I have an internet presence. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you again next week. <laughs>